Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Psalm 139? Psalm 139. I, I, I think it's fairly true to say, I don't want to over... Uh, stress it, but I think it's fairly true to say that um, the world in which we live, in fact, myself included, uh, I think we tend to be more externally orientated, more focused on the outward, on the physical, on the things that we can see and touch and measure than the inner, than the internal stuff of our lives. I wouldn't say it's always the case, but I think I've certainly seen that in my own life, uh, the older I've got, that I tend to think a lot about image, uh, about physical things, about stuff out there. And of course, um, this is in total um, opposition to actually the God of the Bible. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And uh, even when Jesus kind of walked on planet Earth, one of the most consistent things that we see um, in his life when he's connecting with leaders and those around him who had influence was this consistent challenge to them Um, that they were so externally focused, you know? I was just reading Matthew 23 just this morning uh, and the the woes that Jesus brings. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, you're like whitewashed tombs that on the outside, externally, you know, you look great, but internally, there's nothing to you. Jesus was very, very uh, internally focused, And yet I see in my own life and honestly in the world around us much more of a consistent emphasis on the external. I had a phone call just this week with a very um, lovely leader. Um, But I noticed as the conversation went on and we were just getting to know each other a little bit, I noticed that they didn't want to go deep. I was trying to steer the conversation a little bit towards more like, you know, issues of who we actually are, me and Josie, and what makes us who we are. And I could tell this person, she was very polite, but she actually just wanted to keep it at this sort of surface level all the way through. It was all very polite, but, but it was all about numbers. It was about sort of processes, it was about timelines, you know, which aren't unimportant. But the stuff of actual, the heart level, you know, the, the, the challenges, the, the mess, the difficulties, the brokenness, they weren't at all really interested. I notice um, since moving to America, and I love America dearly, um, when you go to the supermarket, you'll often be asked, oh, how are you? 
uh, or words to that effect, which in England you don't really ever get. No, no, people don't ever ask you that in Tesco's or the supermarkets. Um, and I think at first I kind of was like, wow, I, I presume they really want to know how, how Tom Shaw is. Um, <laughs> But generally, they don't. It's not really, uh, you know, if I was to say, I'm actually feeling quite depressed today. Um, I'm just thinking about my deep inner issues. Uh, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't really fit. And ironically, I think even being specific about San Francisco, which I think is a city that many who came here in the 60s and 70s, you know, the hippie movement, there was an aspiration for depth. There was, an, there was a heart for the heart. You know, let's, let's walk away from materialism and those things that entrap us and let's get to the heart of, of love and peace. I even think it's somewhere amazing like San Francisco and the Bay, honestly, with the last 10 or 20 years and, and it being more synonymous, synonymous with like the tech industry, which I, you know, there's lots of benefits to that. You wouldn't tend to connect the tech industry with an orientation towards depth. <laughs> generally i think would be fair to say many of you are agreeing with me and um so this this longing for depth the god of the bible is a god of depth a god who sees the inner more than almost the outer and yet tom shaw who tends to be much more outwardly focused we spent three weeks working on a on a church logo uh, and that's not bad you know we want to get it right and we will one day soon unveil it but it's like, man, there's a lot of energy going into a mark, you know, the external. And I think there's a couple of reasons why um, this, this was something that Jesus was really, you know, consistently bothered about. I think the first is, is honestly, it leads to hypocrisy. It does lead to hypocrisy when our lives outwardly say one thing, but inwardly, they're actually totally different. You know, in his great book that we're going to refer to a lot, The Emotionally Healthy Church, Pete Scazzaro says, you can be a dynamic, gifted speaker or leader externally in public, but be an unloving spouse and parent at home. You can function as an impressive CEO or pastor externally and yet be unteachable, insecure, and very defensive internally. You can memorize huge amounts of information and knowledge, but still be unaware of your depression and anger, even displacing it on other people. I think it's a really big deal. This, this, this ancient issue that we have that isn't new, actually, where the God of the Bible lets us know how he feels. And yet for so many of us, we don't ever really focus on that. We're, we're much more about the outer, the gifts, the outer realm, the visible, the measurable, you know? Um, I think it's, it leads to terrible hypocrisy, doesn't it? At times I see it in my life, I can be such a hypocrite at times. I think the other re reason it's such a big issue for us um, is because it honestly just makes us ultimately totally unhappy. If we don't ever tend to our inner life and life is all about the outer and going and doing, then I think we start to resonate with many of the descriptions in the Bible about how our hearts can become weary. It says our hearts can become divided. 
our hearts can become deceived. It says our hearts can become hardened. It says your heart can become sick. It even says you can lose heart. So it's a, it's a huge issue for us. And I, I think that, that's the Bible language for saying we can become depressed and anxious and suicidal and, and moving away from a place that God often wants us to. And so actually, I, I don't think it's a surprise that um, a leader in the Bible called Solomon, um, who had, <laughs> he had a lot going on in his, in his external world. He had quite a few wives and quite a lot of business activities, shall we say. But even he said, do you know what? Proverbs 4.23, you might know this one. Say it with me. Above all else, guard your heart because from it springs all things it's the wellspring of life he understood something that i know i often just forget and as we as obviously we're in this extremely unusual situation of a kind of a global you know um lockdown it i don't know about you but i feel like it's forcing um, uh, the almost the volume of tom shaw's inner world the volume of my emotions up and up and up so that things were already there. Now I'm physically restricted. Now I'm in my Jonah belly of the whale time like you. Then it's actually increasing as the physical is constricted on us. It's actually increasing the emotional volume for many of us of things that were probably already there, but they're now really clear. So for me, I think my theory is, is that the million dollar question is actually how how do we actually do it i want to do it tom i want to tend to my inner life i can see anxiety or or sadness or anger or whatever it might be or envy or judgment but i don't know how really to navigate this internal pandemic not to be too cheesy this internal stuff how do I do it? I, I heard a quote from the ex-leader of the UN, and he said, man has become very adept at exploring outer space, but we have not generally developed similar skills for exploring our inner space. I think he's right. I think there's a lot of truth in what he's saying. We tend, I think, generally to prefer to manipulate objects control situations or just do something rather than consistently courageously look inside at what's going on in here i'll say that again i think we tend as humans to prefer to manipulate objects control external situations or just do something out there rather than taking a courageous and skillful and consistent look at what's going on in here. But actually, the dad of Solomon, the guy who wrote, you know, above all else, guide your heart, the dad of him was a guy called David. And the, the scripture that you've got in front of you, Psalm 139, is a beautiful um, invitation from his father, who understood the same principle as his son. I think they would have like fist pumped, you know, David and Solomon have said, yeah, son, that's a great proverb to, to write down because even though David was like an action man, okay, David 
you know, would have, would have fitted in many of our worlds. He was no slouch. He had a high work ethic. He slayed bears. He fought lions. He took down Goliaths. He was seriously a man of adrenaline, all right? <laughs> However, look at these words that this fully grown man, this man's man, you know, uh, a real masculine guy of tremendous activity. Look what he says here in Psalm 139. And I want you to notice something. We're going to read a psalm which is very tender and helps us begin our journey of how do we become a people who are more internally orientated and skillful. The first step is we need to look beneath the surface. We need to look beneath the surface. That's the title of my talk. We're going to look beneath the surface. And Psalm 139, first of all, tells us this is important. Okay, in case you're someone who thinks this is just a, a secondary thing and we shouldn't really be bothered about our inner life, well, David would, I think, disagree with you. The first thing that this psalm tells us before we read it is that it's very important. It's, David knew that God cared about what he was feeling. It's important. Now, the second thing is that we're going to see is that it's actually um, safe. Okay, it's safe to do it. And we're going to see here David tell us that God knows him unbelievably well. And if you're like me, if someone ever says to you, oh, yeah, I really know Joni Toombs. I really know her. Or I know Mike Davis. Or I know Tom Shaw. Sometimes if someone says that, that makes you a bit terrified. It's like they're going to kind of spill the beans on some dark informa insider information they have. He says here, we're going to see that David says, you know me, God. But there's no... There's no like uh, cynical, scary twist to it. We're going to see that he's known by God and yet actually he's safe. Okay. It's important. And yet we're safe to do this friends. Even if your parents didn't make you feel safe. And so you don't tend to talk about this. This is a safe God of the Bible. He is kind and he knows us. Let's read together. Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you know, the external stuff, but you also perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my beds in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, do you know, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day or for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. 
I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Oh, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I've nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Here we go. This is where we're going to focus today, these last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow, what a psalm. We see three wonderful um, beginner steps for Tom Shaw and yourselves. If you want to start to to look beneath the surface like David and Solomon encourage us to, there's three things he says here. First of all, step one is search me. Search me. Number two is test me. Test me. Going a little deeper. And number three is lead me. Search me, test me, and lead me. So first of all, David here... I love this. He knows that God already knows him. He says that right at the beginning. You know me. I mean, he's such a wordsmith, isn't he? He is outstanding in crafting this language to describe this extraordinary, beautiful, intimate um, relationship that he has with, with, with this amazing God. And he says, you have already searched me and you know me. You know everything about me. But he now in verse 23, near the end, he, it's almost like he's saying, search me, oh God, and know my heart. And it, it feels like to me, he's saying effectively, God, will you now help me know me? He starts by saying, you, all, you know me, God. Everything is absolutely clear to you. You do realize that. I'm, I'm sure you do. But that God sees absolutely everything in your being all the time it's as clear as you could possibly imagine but david knows he needs help agreeing with and seeing himself in the way that god already sees him so in simple language this is our first point you could say he's saying help me understand the what what is going on in my heart question one search me the what question what am I feeling? It's really important theologically that you're convinced about what I'm saying, that throughout the Bible, God wants us to know what he feels. So if you look at many of the prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, they're telling us what God is feeling towards Israel. Isn't that interesting? Just so you know that, God's not a robot God. God is a God who has deep 
emotions and he wants us to know what those emotions are celebration motion emotions and emotions of sadness or even righteous anger when david sorry when uh, jesus walked on planet earth the gospel writers want us to know that jesus felt things that his inner life was not just his private life but it says for example in john chapter 11 when we heard about Lazarus just a moment ago, that Jesus was deeply moved. He was deeply moved when his friend Lazarus died. In Mark chapter 10, when some kids are brought to Jesus and his disciples try and get them, you know, to push them away, it says Jesus was indignant. He felt indignation. And the God of the Bible wanted us to know that Jesus felt that. In Matthew chapter 8, it says that Jesus was astonished. He felt astonishment when the centurion had tremendous faith in him. So I could go on, but I think you get the point. Is What I'm just trying to say is this, is that the God of the Bible is an emotional God. The God of the Bible is emotional, and we're meant to know that. We're meant to be aware of his emotions. Now, why is that important? Because then you see, if it says that humans are made in the image of God, we're a bit like that God, then what it means is your emotions are important. And this sounds rather obvious, but if you're anything like me, it's anything but obvious and anything but easy. You see, some of us, some of you fall into the camp of um, honestly just ignoring your emotions. Sometimes it's a generational thing. Sometimes it's a, a culture thing in your country. Some countries are very aware of emotions and some teach us to just basically ignore them, you know? Sometimes we go to the other extreme. Some of us may be those who idolize our emotions. We don't ignore them, but we idolize them. You know, maybe younger generations. Emotions are everything. And that leads into almost sensuality. Paul warns against that, where you are what you feel. You know, there's no discernment. the other opposite extreme. Some cultures are more like that. If it feels good, then it's right. But I think there's a third camp. And this is the camp I noticed in myself, and I think David might be in this camp. It's not that he's deliberately ignoring. It's not that he's deliberately idolizing. It's this. He's ignorant of what those emotions are. It's not that he knows what they are and he's ignoring them. I don't think David was particularly good without God's help at even knowing what he's feeling. See, I am someone, I've realized I have emotions, but I am absolutely rubbish by nature at understanding what they actually are. For those of you who know me, the last five or six years since I almost burnt out, uh, I was running on adrenaline. I was externally Mr. Action Man, leading a church in Canterbury. Externally, everything looked great, but internally, I was dying. And I ended up developing uh, irritable bowel syndrome without you know, putting you off your breakfast. It wasn't very pleasant. And my inner life emotionally was starting to manifest itself, even physically, getting ill. I was lying in bed for days, and I couldn't work it all out. Long story short, Half a decade later, the summary is it's taken me learning solitude, silence, um, stillness, 
removing myself from the hubbub of work life it's and a hundred other things to teach me to to be able to say oh i'm actually feeling uh angry oh there we go i've actually managed to do it i didn't know quite what it was but i'm feeling anxious i'm feeling worried i'm feeling fearful i think often it's actually harder than we think identifying the searching questions of what you're actually feeling you see sin we tend to think of sin that just makes us bad okay sin makes me bad listen sin makes us blind it blinds us metaphorically to what's going on most of us are more self-conscious than we are self-aware isn't that true we're so much more aware of what other people think about us than really often what's really going on in here. We're more self-conscious than self-aware. I remember chatting to a friend of mine a few years ago about this book. And honestly, a uh, lovely guy, but I could feel his consistent anger just sort of whenever I chatted to him. And I was sort of said, oh, so how did you find the book? And he was like, yeah, it's fine. It's all right. It's all right. And I was like, didn't it, didn't it kind of you know, uh, trigger anything in you? Didn't you kind of see any kind of illuminating truths? And he was like, no, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's all good. And I was like, wow, bless you. Bless you. Um, you know, it's like having bad breath. If you have a bad, if you have a bad hair day, you know, you're having a bad hair day as everyone else does. If you have bad breath, you don't know you've got it. Everyone else does. Everyone else around you like, wow, this guy's got really bad breath. This emotional health stuff is often like the bad breath, is that other people smell it first. They're like, man, it, does he still not realize how de defensive he is, how, how unteachable she can be, how self-promoting she consistently is? I know it's, it's really embarrassing. Pete Scazzaro says the real horror is how easy it is to live in a comfortable, distorted view about your inner life. I think that's really true. I think it's really easy to think that we are doing quite well when actually, um, for whatever reason, we still are keeping life very shallow. You know, we don't want to go deep. I think partly we don't want to go deep because it takes time. And honestly, many of us are just very, very busy. And you're thinking, Tom, this is all very well, but you know, you're a pastor. You get paid to do this. You know, you don't have a busy life. You just sit around praying all the time, right? <laughs> no, I don't know you think that, but I think it takes time. It does. And we're very busy. Um, I think it takes energy. And I think many of us are just tired. And I think, honestly, it takes real courage to do this stuff because it, it does often expose things that need to be exposed, but are not easy. I think also one of the reasons is that there are, there is shame. This is important. There is shame attached to certain emotions. I didn't realize this until recently. It took me a long time to admit, for example, I was scared. So fear for many of us has an emotion, sorry, has, has a, a shame attached to it. I remember walking up the stairs a few years ago and Josie was like, why are you so, why are you so snappy with me? And for once I actually paused and thought, yeah, it's true. It's actually because I'm scared about something that was happening the next day. 
And I said to her, I'm, do you know, it's because I'm fearful about this thing happening tomorrow. Now, that doesn't sound like a big thing. But for me to say, this is what's going on, was actually a big step forward. Because for me, fear, I don't want to admit I'm fearful. Or anxiety. Anxiety. There's often a shame attached to anxiety. That's another reason we often don't ask the what question. We don't really invite a searching of God. Because, you know, I, uh, I have very frequently woken up in the mornings and the first emotion I tend to feel is a, is a sort of low-level anxiety. And I could almost not even see it's there, but I noticed that. But I remember the first time actually saying, I, I tend to wake up in the morning and feel like I'm behind. And it's just so consistent. It's just this quiet, low-level anxiety. And I, there was a, a tiny little death to my glittering image that I like to try and keep alive of how people perceive me when I, when I admitted yeah, sometimes I struggle with anxiety. But I want to say this. There is a cost to this journey that we're going on, but my word, is it wonderful. You know, have you guys read uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Put your hand up if you have. Oh, C.S. Lewis, beautiful. We're reading it again as a family. And just we got to the bit with the, you know, the bit, not to, this is a spoiler alert. There's a bit where Aslan, he has to be involved in the descaling of the dragon skin that symbolizes sin. Oh, it's so beautiful. Eustace is desperately trying to do it himself and he can't really get any depth and it requires the Aslan claw to go deep. And it says that Eustace had to lie down and let, he had to let Aslan do it. That's a picture of what we do as Christians. It's what, it's what David is doing here, saying, search me, O Lord, go deep. Don't let me stay the same. If I search myself, if I do this in isolation without God, I can't do it. But when we allow God, who's wanting to do this, to show us what's going on, there is tremendous immediate freedom sometimes just from saying the what. I had a meeting two weeks ago with some friends, some other leaders, and they were talking about this lockdown and church Sundays not necessarily being able to meet physically for longer than I had imagined. And at the end of the conversation, the guy leading the meeting looked at me and said, Tom, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? And I paused for a moment and I just said, heavy. I just feel really heavy. And I actually, uh, it sounds silly, but the moment that I was able to say, this is what I'm feeling, there was the beginnings of healing. And there was the beginnings of unconsciously changing the expectations about even how I would operate. If life is heavy, if you're in a kind of grief, you don't do the same things as when you're in like a summertime. If it's a winter season, you live differently. And just me saying, do you know what? I'm actually feeling quite heavy right now. I just felt like the father's like, yes, well done, Tom. It's taken you six years of excavation to get in touch with actually what's going on in here. And I love it. It isn't a small issue. So first of all, then search me. Let me ask you this simple question. What are you feeling even now? You've come this far. You're on this Skype call, Zoom call. What are you feeling? I'm going to give you 20 seconds of silence. 
a little tip I found helpful because it's memorable is, is when you're trying to ask yourself this question that David's saying is, what am I mad about? In American terms, that means angry. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I glad about? Sad, mad, or glad. There's other emotions you might be feeling. Just take 20 seconds in the silence of this meeting and just ask Holy Spirit, search me and let me know what you see so clearly as going on here. Okay, can I just ask two of you to unmute yourself and just say one word? Don't, we haven't got time to go into, into greater depth, but just if two of you, just to get your voice in the room, if you're brave, just, just unmute yourself and just say the emotion that you saw. Okay, Jared. Bitterness. Bitterness. Thank you. Leah? Um, I don't know. I went to a place of tranquility. Great. Tranquility. One or two others? Any other emotions that you saw? Uh, for oh. me, it would be anxious. Thank you. Thanks, Lydia. Anxious. And Jessa? Hopeful. Hopeful. Wonderful. So the first step, as simple as it sounds, is saying, search me. Tell me what I'm feeling. But then David carries on. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Here we go. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. In the NASB, the word offensive is hurtful. So is there anything in me that's hurting you, O Lord, or even hurting myself? So I think the sense of this second part of these verses is that David's wanting to go deeper. Search me, yes, but now test me. You could put it this way. If the first point is the what question, the second step is the why. Why am I feeling what? I'm feeling. Now, this is a really, really different question. And it's even harder than the first one. <laughs> but it's so good. It's such a great question. In fact, in Psalm 43, David says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Not just I am downcast. Bravo, David. Macho man knows that he is, he is downcast. He's depressed. Now, let's go deeper. Why? Why? And this is the feel of this second part of, this, of these verses. Test me. It's like he knows that God knows why he's feeling what he's feeling. I had a friend uh, who's a very emotionally mature leader friend of mine. He said he'd noticed in his own life, it often took five whys to get to the real root issue. I love that. Five whys before he really understood 
not just what he was feeling, but why he was feeling what he was. Oh, I'm feeling frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Oh, because there's this expectation I had. Well, why is there that expectation that you had? There's this sense of going deeper that is very, very important. Again, Pete Scazzaro in his brilliant book, he says this, ask yourselves these why questions. Some of you might resonate with one or two. Why am I always in a hurry? Why am I so impatient? Why am I so anxious? Why am I overly concerned that others tell me I'm okay as a leader? Why am I so devastated when such and such tells me after church on Sunday that she didn't get anything out of my sermon? I certainly don't resonate with that one. Why do I dread this meeting today at 2 p.m.? Why am I so flooded with fear? Why am I so overly concerned I succeed in my job? Why do I avoid confronting difficult people in my life? The why question is huge. And again, it's because the why question, the the, the, the test me, O oh Lord, question, it requires a certain courage and commitment to, I think, particular silence and solitude and slowness of life that most of us are not simply used to uh, pursuing. Dallas Willard, um, when he was asked by John Ortberg, uh, what advice would you give me for developing the inner life? And he said, step one, ruthlessly remove hurry from your life. And John then said, okay. And the next one? And then Dallas said, no, that's, that's it. Ruthlessly remove hurry from your life. The great French uh, Christian and mathematician Blaise Pascal famously said, all of men's miseries derive from their inability to sit alone in a room. There's some truth in that. All of men's miseries derive from their inability to sit alone in a room. It's not easy. And yet it's so crucial that we do ask the why question. Like David is saying, why, oh Lord, why am I feeling these things? Search me, test me. Help me know myself like you know me. Because honestly, when we don't do it, we can have a very, very busy life, a life that until the day you die, you are filled with action and even in some ways external things going right. And yet, honestly, if your inner life is not as it should be, it's a huge, huge issue. I mean, one of the great examples in the Bible is a guy called King Saul, who was a king. And had people adoring him. He had, in many ways, everything. And yet we all know Saul as the guy who spent seven years of his life consumed with what? Jealousy. His jealousy was so out of control and so unmonitored that it basically destroyed him. It was so tragic as he chased after David, who in many ways didn't have what Saul did have. He was someone who wasn't asking the why question. Why am I so dominated by this comparison? I'm sure comparison isn't an issue for any of us on this call, but just for one or two, it might be. You have all this amazing stuff in your life, and yet the voice that dominates is actually comparison with the other things. Why do we feel that? And this is, this is so, so big, okay, 
first of all, for the benefit of the people around you. Asking the why question. Let me be really, really vulnerable. Um, you know, and be honest, we're all going to feel stuff till the day we die. There's going to be, you know, we're like an iceberg, okay? There's a lot going on under the surface. That's to, partly to be human. So the, to ignore your emotions, if you've, for example, got a family, it's, I don't think it's necessarily particularly loving to always just pretend you're fine if genuinely you're not. The reason being is those around you can feel, they can feel when you're not quite right. They can feel if you're angry or depressed or anxious or concerned or whatever it is. I think a better way, of course you don't want to vomit over people around you all the time. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, is if you can learn and I can learn to not just spot the what question, what I'm feeling, but then the why question, it enables us to say to our loved ones around us or our church communities or your work colleagues or your neighbors or your family, do you know what? I'm actually feeling this, but the reason I'm feeling it is nothing to do with you. Oh, dad is sad right now. And he's been honest about that. He hasn't pretended he's fine. He's told me the why. The why is because actually there's deep things going on and actually it's nothing to do with us. Now, isn't that true? Suddenly, it actually lets people in. It's remarkable. I had this just yesterday. Josie said, hey, why don't we go on a bike ride? An innocent, an innocent idea. Now, for those of you who know me, I have certain strengths. Being practical is not one of them. And when Josie then followed up that comment with, oh, but mind you, the bikes, they're not really ready to go. The brakes don't really work. I think they've got a flat tire. And she was just pondering aloud. But there was an emotional re reaction happening in Tom Shaw's soul. And it actually came out initially as anger. It came out like I got frustrated. She felt like I was getting frustrated with her. And she's like, why are you getting angry with me? I'm just talking about the bikes. And I was like, ah, I'm not angry. I am. I, I, am, I, am, I am angry. I have to admit it. Yes. And I, let me give me a moment. Let me try and work out why. I don't understand. Oh, it's because I feel incapable practically in many, many areas. And I feel frustrated at that. I wish I was like some of you who could just with a little spanner and a screwdriver or whatever, fix it all. But it's an area in my life. And this is like the 50th thing I feel like I'm failing in my family life at. And so it's a frustration about this thing over here. It's the why, you see? And as soon as I was able to, uh, to connect it, it meant that the emotion was, I was letting Josie off from feeling she'd done anything wrong. I hope I, hope I was anyway, trying to. This is all very live. <laughs> um, do you understand? Does this, make, does this make any sense? Not nod if you can get, this is huge. So many of us, if we can just learn, to, oh, the reason why I am, it means that you can honestly still be honest in your marriages, in your friendships, in your churches, in your work situations, and, and not have to pretend everything's fine. The why question can save a whole family. It can save a whole marriage. If you can do this, if we can learn to do what David's doing. And the other issue, the other reason it's so important is not just for the sake of others, it's but for the sake of yourself. And again, this is so important because as you start to ask why you're feeling what you're, you're feeling, sometimes there are emotions that you'll be feeling 
And honestly, for whatever reason, you may think you shouldn't be feeling them when actually you may, you may should be feeling them, if that makes grammatical sense. You should, for example, anger is a classic one. When you ask, why am I angry? Now, sometimes you shouldn't be feeling it, right? Because you're getting angry because your pride is hurt. It's true. That's definitely, there's times where I feel really hurt over something and I actually analyze it and it's because of pride. It's because I had these expectations of grandeur and God's like, no, Tom, you're very average and I love you, but you're just, you know, you're Tom, you're limited. And my anger and my hurt was actually self-inflicted. Now, in those situations, the why releases me from feeling justified in my resentment and my anger. But sometimes our anger is entirely appropriate. Look at, look at Jesus in the temple. Have you ever noticed in that story when Jesus gets uh, angry in the temple? I never noticed this until this week. A few verses later, it says the children were playing and they came to him in the temple. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is so angry, he turns over tables. And yet his anger is so pure and right. Kids are not scared of Jesus. I love that. There's sometimes when your anger is totally right. In fact, let me say it even further. Sometimes you should be angry when you're not angry. I think we should be more angry over sin, more angry over injustices, more angry at times over things that we're so passive about. So it's imperative that we ask the why question because sometimes, or let me give another example. You could be feeling really depressed, really sad, and you could think, oh my goodness, what's wrong with me? I had a friend of mine who was feeling low and someone texted them and said, I'm so sorry that you aren't yourself at the moment. Now, it's a fascinating phrase because I know what they meant and it was meant purely from love. But I thought, actually, that's not true. Part of my friend is someone who feels things at a deep level and will sometimes, maybe for all of their life, feel depressed and sad. That is who they are. It's part of who they are. And what the text was saying was a lie, actually, that we can all buy into is that we ourselves when we feel happy. <laughs> and that's terribly unhelpful, isn't it? That's not really going to help anyone if we think that's what the Bible says, because it's just not true. And actually, some of the deep, the deep work of the soul and you becoming a person of compassion and depth only happens through pain. Pain and depression and sadness is the soil for so much of the greatest creativity that has ever been on planet Earth. You tell me a chirpy, happy, consistent artist or poet. They don't exist. All of the great creatives have a huge melancholic bent. And of course, there's sometimes the nuance when that can become unhealthy. I get that. But come on, one of the great joys of becoming a church that's healthy is we can celebrate with those who celebrate and we can mourn. Some of you are feeling real grief as you go through lockdown and, and lamenting is really important. And sometimes, sometimes you shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling and God wants to set you free from it. It's a nuance. So I'll give an example. I noticed when the lockdown started, I started to feel at first almost a strange sense of relief. Oh, maybe in some ways I can actually 
you know, not have to feel like I have to be quite so active and doing everything and making everything happen. I know lots of you are nodding. There's a certain level at which I thought, oh, a strange kind of relief. And then suddenly I started looking on social media, as we all did. Even if you don't go on it normally, I bet loads of you are suddenly do 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 do. And I noticed within a few days, I was starting to feel anxiety. I was starting to feel despairing. And I was like, what is going on? And I realized it was because of comparison. Suddenly, I saw all these other church leaders moving into operation, doing all these incredible things. And I just suddenly thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I can hardly turn my computer on, let alone be some techno wizard who does church through the the techno world. This is terrible. I'm even more pathetic than I realized. And I found myself getting more and more despairing and more honestly, really just, you know, condemned feeling absolutely condemned and this is because listen i tend to believe a lie which is i am only loved if i'm successful i need to be admired desperately more than almost anything and when i felt like one of the main ways that i can get my admiration which is the physical realm is being restricted wow suddenly exposed a lie that i tend to live off that I get energy from, I am, I am loved when I'm admired. Oh, all these physical things are restricting me, so I can't do those things. And it exposes this thorn. It comes to the surface. It's already been there for years, but now through this lockdown, I'm starting to see it. And at first, it's absolutely agony. But listen, once, once I see it, that's, that's not God. That is an emotion God doesn't want me to feel. And I would say, I don't think he wants you to feel. If you felt despair or condemnation through comparison, friends, this is where we finish by this final wonderful gospel application. He then says, see if there's any offensive way in me. Uh, Yes. But then lead me, lead me, lead me, God. I need to be led. I can't do this on my own. This is where this whole deal is so different from just counseling where you're on your own trying to work it out. This is relational. This is a father saying, let me lead you. Let me lead you. Now, look what he says in the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting? Well, my best bet is there's nothing better than his everlasting, ever present presence. This is what the whole Psalm's about. Wherever I go, you're there. And you don't condemn me. You don't look at me and only love me if I'm successful. You know everything about me. You know before a word is on my lips, even before I got angry about the bikes and my inability to fix them. You knew I was going to say that, Jesus, but you still love us. You've covered us through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We are now forever safe. This is the everlasting way. The, the way that is not everlasting is when I try and do things without him. And when I get into comparison, because it's all about me, I had this, uh, I'll finish with this story. I, I had this experience um, where one of my, I went to pick up one of my daughters from um, a, uh, from a uh, kids, kids work at a church. And I picked her up and she was so excited she was all, she was all, she used to look gorgeous and she'd had a great morning and she was all excited and bubbly and her hair was all done. And she'd, she'd actually got her t-shirt and she tied it into like a little groovy knot thing. So it was a bit higher and she was all hyper and excited. And I was like, Hey honey, did you have a good time? And she was beaming. 
Her little gorgeous face was beaming. She was so happy. She's like, hey, daddy, I had the best time ever. And this is what happened. As we walked out of that building, another girl who's slightly older than her, my daughter just looked at her, a friend of hers, and this other girl looked at her, looked her up and down, and just slightly sneered. She just did that. And in that split second, I saw my daughter's whole countenance just change. She just sort of looked down, and I think she felt somewhat foolish for kind of, you know, being all excited and having her hair up and having her little top. And we walked out, and I, something in me as a father was like, no, 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 no. And I was looking at my daughter saying, what, what, why have you allowed that to happen? Like this other girl, honestly, she's nothing compared with you. Why have you allowed her, her assessment of you to so impact you? Darling, why have you done that? And I found myself in this internal plea. And, uh, and then I suddenly felt the father say, Tom, you've allowed that to happen to yourself for 40 years. You've allowed yourself to be more affected by what other people think of you. Their perceived frowns, their little sneers have affected you, Tom. And all the time, the face of the father is waiting, beaming. Look at me. And as I said to my daughter, I literally almost got her head. I didn't quite, but I was like, look at me. Don't look at that girl. Look at me, my darling. You're exquisite. You're a miracle. You are so incredibly gorgeous. And this was the final thing. At first, she was still distracted by what happened. We got in the car. And the sheer presence of me with her in the car over those few moments was all she needed. And she, her, her shoulders went down, she recovered, and the joy returned to her little heart. My presence as her father was all she needed, the way everlasting, the presence of, her, of me as her father just popped the toxic comparison that had started to go in. This is what David's saying. This is what David's saying. Is, is if you're someone like me and you know it in, in, at times in your life that you have been someone and your eyes have been to the left or to the right, the final invitation is the way everlasting, which is to have our eyes, not on how we think others perceive us, particularly in this lockdown time, particularly when social media is going to lead us into that trap. Oh, friends. We have a God who cares deeply what we feel. He wants to help us navigate it. It's important to him. It's important to him. And we're safe now in his presence. We're safe in his presence. Can I pray for us? And then we're going to have a song to finish our time. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your beautiful face, Father. Wow, you're so good. God, we love you. And I just want to pray in these final moments even more of the presence of God that frees us to just spot condemnation, despair. And when you do not want us to live in it, that you would just melt our beings and convince us like David, even this great masculine man, to be just convinced that the God of the Bible is so kind. And so glorious. Look in the face of Jesus and I'm so convinced. I want you, Jesus, more than ever. 
And I thank you, you also free us from wrong condemnation when we feel low and we feel depressed. And actually you're saying, no, no, that's okay. Don't feel like you have to rush through that. Thank you that we can be those like you, Jesus, were a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You give us a vision for carrying certain level of pain as well. Thank you, God, that you want to develop in us more and more an emotional health at such a time as this. Yes, for our own, our own inner well-being, but also and most of all for your glory and for all those who desperately need a saviour to lead them. Thank you, Father.